Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Amateur Gourmet Podcast. I'm sorry I've been absent for the past couple of weeks. My new cookbook that I co-wrote with my friend Gideon Glick, Give My Swiss Shards to Broadway, is coming out October 4th, and we've been doing all kinds of promo for it. I've appeared on a few podcasts, and I'm actually flying to New York. By the time you hear this, I'll be in New York to do some more events. We're going to be doing a book signing at the Drama Bookshop on Thursday, October 6th. So if you're in New York, uh, follow me on social media, and I'll be posting more about that. Uh, But I I would love to meet you and sign your book. Uh, Today's episode of the pod is very exciting, very sweet. Um, I became friends with Jonathan Melendez uh, through my friend Ben Mims, who's been on this podcast. And Jonathan has a blog called The Candid Appetite, and he's a great cook, and I follow him on Instagram where he's johnjohn33. But the reason I invited him on today is that he and his partner recently adopted a little boy, and they are now fathers. And I thought it would be really fun to talk to Jonathan about fatherhood and food. So that's the theme of this week's episode, fatherhood and food. And without further ado, here is my talk with Jonathan Melendez. All right. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for doing my podcast. Congratulations on being a father. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. Yeah. Well, I met you a year ago or maybe a little less than a year ago at our friend Ben's Christmas white elephant party. Yes. And although we uh, had, I feel like we knew each other because like, we are like in the same circle. So we've like known each other yeah. socially. But last year was like the first time we actually met face to face. That's true, because I've been following you. That's a good point. Um, but I met you and your husband, Julian, and you guys had a secret that nobody knew at that party, <laughs> which was you were in the process of having a child. Yes. And um, and you recently announced to the world the birth of your son. So can you tell us a little bit about this whole experience um, and what this has been like? And eventually we're going to trans- transition into food, but this is the setup. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, so yeah, I... We started the adoption process two years ago. So we've been together, my husband and I have been together for eight years and we always knew that we wanted to be parents. And uh, of course, when we finally decided like this was it, this we're gonna take the plunge, we're gonna start the process, uh, the pandemic hits. <laughs> so mm. it was kind of like a double-edged sword. Like it, it, everything was kind of delayed because of the pandemic, but at the same time, we thought that this was the perfect time to do it because you know we're just, stuck at home we're not we can't do anything so why not just start the process then and uh it took about two and a half years to complete wow um and there was a lot of like ups and downs highs and lows with it as you can imagine because there is so many different factors involved in it you know we have um we went through an agency and so we had like a social worker who kind of guided us through everything we had so many classes to take Mm -hmm. and everything was done virtually which kind of put a hinder on it because like the state you know assigns you to a social worker and they have to come to your house to like evaluate the safety you know of Mm -hmm. your house for the the baby and whatnot and everything was done virtually so it was kind of hard to get everything done on a timely manner because of COVID because you know a lot of the offices were closed or everything was just kind of slower than it normally was but um, we finally got matched uh, this July so the process it's like we create basically like a profile. It's almost like a dating profile. I always say that uh, we get sent out to different prospective birth mothers, birth families, I guess. And then they pick us from these profiles. And then once they pick us, we chat with them and we match basically. And then 
we go from there. And so we got matched in July. Uh, baby was born on August 16th. Oh, so, so it's all very fast when it happened. Yeah. 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 So just kind of because the agency we went through is um, it's a private agency and they primarily only handle third trimester pregnancies because they feel like at that point, the birth families are pretty much set in, in stone that they want to adopt there. You run the risk of if you start earlier that they have a longer ch- chance to change their mind, you know? Right. And so basically, like when you get picked, like they're they're pretty much due within a couple of weeks normally. And so that was the case for us. It was like less than three weeks from when we got picked to when uh, he was born. That is so crazy. I mean, I have a a couple of gay friends who've adopted and, you know, they all have different stories, but there is something about, you know, this whole like the suddenness of it, just like that, you know, it's not like the gradual nine month process where, you know, I mean, that's, you know, straight people, love them or hate them, they get this very (laughs) (laughs) natural, I don't want to say natural, but very like spaced out, like predictable, I guess, on some level uh, experience. And for gay people who are adopting or or even straight people who are adopting, there's sort of a chaotic element to it. But I guess I'm curious now um, in terms of the fantasy of what it would be like and now the reality of what it's been like so far, how do those two things match up? Um, I'm, I always say, or I keep saying lately that I'm still in the honey, honeymoon phase. So like uh-huh. now anything he does, I'm like, well, he's so cute. I don't mind it. And, uh, I'm just so infatuated with him that I feel like I had always wanted to be a father. And now that it's finally happened to me, it feels like it's a dream come true. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it is true what people say, you know, like they always tell you right when we started the process, we, we only told our families and both um, my husband and I just have sisters and um, they have kids and they each told us like, you're going to not sleep, you know, say goodbye to your sleep and your schedule right. is well off. And it has been, but I don't mind it as much. And I think that it's because I had wanted this for so long that now that it's finally happened, I don't mind it. Like I, I'm happy about it. That's so sweet. Now, I ask mean, me again I, in like two months. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny because it's like it makes for some reason it does make me think of cooking. Um, I'm not just saying that because this is a food podcast, but <laughs> but also it's like you can't be a good cook unless you really want to eat like like it's like you have to love food. And I don't think you could be a good parent unless you really want to have kids. So there mm-hmm. is a connection there, I think, uh, which is maybe a good segue into this whole idea now of food and fatherhood, which is the name of this podcast, (laughs) because I'm curious, like, are you already planning how you want your son to be uh, with food? Like, are you going to be cooking home cooked meals for every meal? Are you going to encourage them to be experimental? Are you going to cook them a separate dinner if they don't eat what's on the table? Like, what's the plan? Okay, so um, I think it's always easy to have a plan, right? You, you have this idea in your mind and it kind of goes back to what you mentioned earlier of like this fantasy and reality. So in my fant- mm-hmm. fantasy world, I think that I'm going to be cooking. Obviously I cook now, even though with what I do, I, even though I cook for work throughout the day, like at night, I still make another meal for, for dinner. And um, we go out maybe like once every two weeks or something like as a date night. But other than that, I cook. So I think that that's not really going to change as mm-hmm as my son gets older, I think that the idea that um, he's going to eat everything that I cook is the hope, you know, I hope he'll eat everything. But I know how kids are again, because I have nieces and nephews, and I've seen Julian's nieces and nephews, and they don't eat everything, you know, but 
I think that the one thing that I want to instill in my child, and again, if he takes it on or not, I'm not sure. I don't, for me personally, I don't like when I go somewhere and then you're like, the kids' menus you see at restaurants are always the same thing. It's like chicken fingers, tortillas, mm-hmm. like things that I feel like aren't very nutritional, you know, like sure. maybe once in a while, I'm going to have my kid indulge in something like that. But for the most part, I think that if you develop a healthy relationship with food from the very beginning, I think that kind of sets the groundwork as they get older. Mm-hmm. And for me, again, I don't know if this is going to work or not, but what I'm going to try to do is that I, I heard it on a podcast once who, um, this um, physical, what is it? How do you say that? A uh, personal trainer had a, <laughs> a personal trainer had a child, and he said that he found that if you give your child too many options from the beginning, that kind of sets the tone for how things are going to be later. He, the child, then feels like they have multiple options, and if you put something down, they're like, "Oh, I don't want this. I'm not going to eat it because I don't mm-hmm. like it. Or I think I don't like it, and I know that there'll be options later on." So what I took from that is like don't, I'm not going to give him many options. And they're like, mm-hmm. this is the one thing we have. Yes. And what that personal trainer said was that nine times out of 10, his daughter always came back to it. So she didn't want to eat and he'd say, okay, don't worry about it. Maybe you'll be hungry later for it. Instead of saying, oh, let me get you something else. I have this, this and that. I can right. get something else for you. So he just said, go, why don't you go play or go do something else? And then when you come back, maybe you'll be hungry for it. And nine times out of 10, she would come back and she would eat it because she was hungry and she ended up liking it. So it's not like you're torturing the child, but I do right. think most kids, obviously, like their attention spans kind of all over the place. And I feel like they don't really know what they like or don't like, you know, not until they try it. And I've always had an issue with when parents are like, um, Sorry, I'm having like a brain fart today. It's baby, baby fog. Um, no, it's fine. It's very real, you know. They, um, <laughs> what am I trying to say? Like when they, you predisposition your children to, to thinking they don't like it. So they'll say something right. like, you don't want to try that. You won't like it without them trying it. I think that's like the oh, yeah. service you can do to your I saw my mom do that with my niece, but in a different thing with um, throwing up because my niece had thrown up at a restaurant like the week before. And then she, she's like four years old. And then she yeah. came with us to lunch like, like the week later. And my mom was like, no, you don't need to throw up, right? You're not going to throw up, right? You, you're not, <laughs> are you okay? You're not going to throw up. And sure enough, like she said it so many times that my niece threw up. Well, of course she <laughs> threw up. So yeah, I think kids are impressionable, but it's interesting. I mean, I feel like if this was a movie, when you were saying all that, I would feel like it was going to cut to you like five years later, like, like putting Cheerios out and like candy bars for your kid. Like, <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, but Although, you know, I, I had this one experience one time like I would say probably eight years ago I was at a restaurant with a friend and I was meeting like a a friend of of a friend right and she was coming with her son he was probably four or five and and I remember distinctly this like left an impression on me where I thought this is what I'm going to do when I have a child like he sat down and she didn't order anything from the kids menu he wanted pizza or whatever so she was like oh yeah what do you want in your pizza and the little boy was like I want Brussels sprouts on my pizza and I want like broccoli or something on the side I don't remember but it was like very like the relationship of that like where a child asking for those vegetables I guess like left an impression on me that's like that's how I want my child to be now I don't know if that's going to happen but yeah hope of it well it's so funny too because it's as as frivolous and silly as it seems in terms of like you know what are your kids going to eat it's like it's I think it's at the core of human psychology I mean 
Uh, I mean, Freud had the whole like oral personality, anal personality, but those are all deeply connected to food and eating. And so it's like when you give kids options or you don't give them options, I mean, all these things are formative. And I do think it kind of, I mean, not to bring up my niece and nephew again, but like, I feel bad. Like I, I'm hopefully they're not listening. My, my, my brother and his wife aren't listening, but you know, it's like they, they, they get like pasta. If they don't like what they're eating, like they get pasta. And yeah. so now they're trained, like it's sort of like what you were saying, like yeah. if, you know, they just, I don't want that. I just want pasta. Just give me the pasta. And, you know, and I think it sets you up to, I mean, maybe to be entitled, maybe to not be easygoing. I mean, I just think it could really create um, a path that said, I also feel like a younger generation of parents, not just my brother and sister-in-law, but also some of my friends, I feel like dis- discipline is sort of going away a little bit. Like people are afraid of their kids and they just want to make their kids happy. So like, they're like, here, just eat the, you know, you like this, or what do you want? Or, you know, just give them what they want. And I think it's all connected again to this like relationship between food and psychology. So do you yeah. think you're going to be a good disciplinarian? Um, I hope so. I, I definitely feel I'll be a better disciplinarian than my husband is. Like you've met him. He's very like um pushover. <laughs> he's like a he's a comedy writer, you know? And yeah. so he, to like he's always very silly. Everything he approaches in life is very silly. Everything is like uh he's a sketch comedy writer. So he's always thinking in terms of like sketch comedy. Mm-hmm. And so he's to me, he's always like playing a bit anywhere we go. Like, oh, he starts thinking like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if this was a bit? And so right. I feel like Cause I see it also like, even before we had a child, we have a dog and a cat and he was always like that with the pets. He was like playing around with them, you know, like not being really disciplinary with them. Like for right. me, um, I'm very meticulous, like with my house, which obviously I think as my child gets older is gonna go out the window, but like the dog's not allowed on the couch, you know, things like uh, that. And okay. would be like, come on, let him on the couch. Look at him, he looks so sad. Come on, let him. So things like that, like yeah. in a way pushover, but not like really pushover, you know? Got it. Yeah. I mean, every couple sort of has to compliment each other in some way. It's funny yeah. because my husband, Craig, and I are so different that when we talk about having kids, which I don't think we're going to do, uh, I worry that we're, our styles are just so opposite. I mean, I come from a family that's terrified of death, that's like constantly anxious. It's yeah. like a neurotic Jewish family. He comes from a family of like absolute, like feeling liberated, like adventurers, like his mom fell off of a roof because she was working on the roof and then got back up and dusted herself off. It's like my mom like would, would like send me to the hospital if I like coughed one time. So like, <laughs> so I just feel like we're so opposite that it, it would just be like a war, World War Three by the yeah. time we had kids. But before we get down too far down this path, I'm realizing for those who are listening to this podcast who have not met you before, we should probably talk a little bit about your career and your yeah. and what you do. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got started and what you do? Sure. Uh, so I am a, for all intents and purposes, I'm a food photographer. I also develop recipes for different companies. Um, but ultimately, I guess my biggest niche is uh, food photography. And so I, my entire life, I knew I wanted to cook. Like that was just something that I'd always known. And even like my fifth grade gra- graduation, I did a commencement speech and I said, <laughs> there, I'm going to be a chef when I grow up. And That's so, so cute. Food- always in my peripheral and then when I went to high school I was involved in a um, cooking program like a youth cooking program it was called CCAP uh, careers through culinary arts program and what they do is they put you through like job shadows like for different restaurants they like teach you the skills that you're basically basically going to learn in culinary school but they teach you early on Mm -hmm. with the idea that you have a focus and a drive 
like at a young age. And so that when you go to culinary school or you any kind of path you take, you then have that, those like skills ready. And so I did that program for two years and you basically go through the program and then you do like a cooking competition and what you're like competing for are um, scholarships to different mm -hmm. schools, right? So I um, got a scholarship and applied that scholarship for a culinary arts pro um, program, culinary arts school in uh, Rhode Island called okay. Jonathan Wales. And so I went there uh, very brief. I didn't, I like after everything, the fantasy again, like now, you know, this callback of the fantasy or reality. Yeah. I go to school and it wasn't everything that I thought it was. Like for me, I had this fantasy of like cooking school was going to be where I was going to be the most happiest. And it wasn't, it wasn't everything that I thought it was. And mind you, I had before that, like had many jobs. Like I worked at a bakery. Um, I worked with a caterer. Like it was, I, all my work experience before college was all food related. And so I did enjoy it then, but for some reason, when I went to culinary school, it's like something clicked. And I realized that that wasn't the path that I thought I wanted to take. And so I came back mid-semester and I thought, I'm going to take some time off and like really figure out what I'm going to do. And my mom was like, no, if you do that, you're not going to go back to school. I know, I like, I know how this like is going to end up. I want you to go to school because my sisters went to school, you know? And so she was like, enroll just like in a community college, because again, it was mid-semester. She's like, just at least do that so that I know you're going to do something, right? Mm -hmm. So I enrolled at uh, like a local community college and just started taking like all the classes that I needed to take. And then it was somewhere like I then transferred to um, a university and then it was somewhere there where I was still kind of cooking for fun. And someone tells me that, you know, why don't you start taking photos of food? Because I enjoyed taking photos at that point and I was taking these photography classes. And then it finally kind of just clicked. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I should start doing that. And then that's what I did for the last two years of college. I like I, my degree is in photography. And so my um, direction or I guess, what is it like? Yeah, direction in photography was food. And so mm -hmm. graduated there. And then part of my final project for school to graduate, you have to like create something right to show to showcase. And that's when I created my food blog. So um, I have, I've had my food blog now for 10 years and that's kind of how everything came from there. Tell it, everybody it, what the name of the blog oh, is. Oh yes, um, it's called thecandidappetite.com. Mm -hmm. Of course, like the tagline is like, we're cooking, we're photography and cooking meat. And it's because um, for me, like cooking is very visual. And I've always often found that people, I don't know if you've heard this before too, that people when they're learning to cook, it's like a very visual thing for them. And like half the time I would always get these comments of like, am I doing this right? Is this how it's supposed to look? And in the internet, like, especially like 10 years ago when food blogs were just, you know, coming out, there wasn't really that much in terms of like photography with like step-by-step. -step. And so I wanted to obviously put my um, degree to use. And so I, my food blog is like, I photograph everything step-by-step. -step. So that, mm -hmm. It's like easier when people are following along the recipes, they can see how exactly how everything's supposed to look. And there's no surprises later. Like, oh, this didn't come out right. Where did I go wrong or something like that? It's and funny you said 10 years ago because I started my blog in 2004. So that's like 18 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> but yes, uh, 
you're you're a very young man with your whole life ahead of you. Uh, well, it's interesting. You mentioned your your mother um, encouraging you to go to college, which makes me wonder about your childhood mm-hmm. and the foods that you ate growing up and your your family's relationship to food. Yeah. So, um, my mom. Hmm, how do I say this? Because she's going to listen to this. <laughs> my mom's uh, a great cook. Um, the thing is, is that she was a single parent raising three kids and worked full time. And so for her, especially when we were younger, cooking was more like she needed to do it because she needed to feed us, right? Um, It wasn't until now that she's found like a love for it. And more like a love, like she just needs to do it, you know, she Mm -hmm. cook and survive and whatnot. But I wouldn't say necessarily that food was her passion or cooking was her passion. And um, she says, because I never met my grandmother, her mother, and um, she passed away before any of us were born, but she says that she looks at me and she looks how creative I am and how much I love to cook. And she says that I get that from her mother. Um, So she finds like this happiness in in what I'm doing, because to her, she sees her mother in me, basically, because she lost her mom when she was 17 years old. And so, and my grandmother was like the, like the world for my mom. And so when she lost her, she like lost a piece of herself. And so she says that now as I'm cooking and doing the, like, let me back it up. So my family's Nicaraguan. My grandparents were born in Nicaragua and then my mom was born here. And somewhere along the line, we kind of lost those like traditional Nicaraguan recipes, especially after my grandmother passed away, because I feel like, I think my mom, it was, it was like a reminder of her mother and it was hard at the beginning obviously and as we were getting older she started then teaching us those like traditional recipes that she grew up eating and so now that I make those recipes it like is a a nice reminder to her of like Mm -hmm. where she came from and what how we were when we were much younger obviously. What are some uh, Nicaraguan recipes that you make? I'm not actually that familiar with Nicaraguan food. Um, So it's a (laughs) tiny little uh, country (laughs) in Central America and it's a lot of like, well, rice, right? Like lots of rice, uh, beans, and uh, probably one of the biggest vegetables we eat a lot is uh, yuca. Okay. Which, are you are you familiar with that? I've it's, seen it in a store. Uh, they have it at Gelson's, but I've never cooked with it. And, I, yeah, and I'm not like, sure I've had it. It's like a potato. It's very starchy. It's almost like a potato. It's just a little bit more fibrous than a potato. But you can do pretty much anything you do to a potato. You can do it with yuca you can like uh fry it like into chips or you can um like uh, do a mash you know like any basic Mm -hmm. thing um but some of the most traditional things it's like the national dish of nicaragua is something called gallo pinto and it's like um just red white rice mixed with red beans okay simple but it's delicious because i love that um for us like rice and beans is on the side of everything like when i was Mm -hmm. much younger like we eat rice every single day and then I got older. And I was like, well, this doesn't seem that nutritious. I'm, I don't, I don't <laughs> eat as much rice now, but to me, it's like the most comforting comfort food for me. It's like, mm-hmm. that's what I gravitate more towards. Um, and then we also have one of the things actually that my mom and I have been doing for the last, I think, eight years um, around Christmas time, we make uh, tamales. Oh, nice. Nicaraguan tamales. And Lots of people laugh because, especially like some of our Mexican friends, because a Mexican tamale, you know, it's just, they're very like thin and it's just the masa and like the meat typically, right? Mm-hmm. And so a Nicaraguan tamale is different in that A, it's wrapped in banana leaves instead of corn husks. 
and B, they're like the size of a brick, like literally uh, really? that big. And they have, as like as some people have joked, they have everything but the kitchen sink in it. It has like the masa, obviously, but then it has a little bit of rice. It has potatoes, bell pepper, tomato, mint, like this marinated pork, and then it has capers, olives. Some people put mm. like prunes and raisins in it. Um, so it's just like it's massive. I love that. I love I love like dried fruit and olives with like meat, and I, I think that sounds yeah. delicious. Wow. Yeah, so it's like this sweet and savory and a little salty and briny from like the olives. It, yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll trade you a Nicaraguan tamale for one of my famous Jewish latkes at Hanukkah. <laughs> I'll give you a couple. I'll give you a couple. I'll give you like five. How's that? Um, Well, it's so interesting. So, so you grew up in a family with a Nicaraguan culinary background and then Julian, now your husband, Julian, what what is his family's background? Oh man. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) His parents were, well, how do I like, they're just white, I guess. Yeah, like, that's. A, I think that's I, what I was I, driving at, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to make assumptions. His mom, like, from Illinois. Yeah. Uh, Springfield, Illinois. And then his dad was born in Anaheim, actually. And so they all kind of grew up there in Anaheim. He was born in Upland. But um, I think his family has, like, roots in like German and Italian roots, I think. I'm not well, sure. the reason I'm asking this, is not out of nowhere. It's sort of uh-huh. because you come from such a strong culinary point of view. I'm curious, does Julian have family recipes and do his, does his family have certain traditions that are also going to enter your home as you raise your son? Uh, he always says that his, like, his mom would just make like Franken beans a lot, you know, or like kielbasa <laughs> and beans. Um, I don't know if I would eat that, but <laughs> Some like two things actually two traditions that he always does or has started to do one thing is um you know like uh i think they're like pizzelli cookies or pizzellis you know how you I say don't know. Like italian like like very thin like lace cookies almost i don't know it's okay. like i think i know what you're talking about and it's yeah. like a very specific like almost like a waffle iron right but it's not a waffle iron it's like these circular it almost looks like a snowflake like lace pattern cookie circular and so okay. like uh, it's like a specialty iron you have to use and it, like you put a little bit of batter and then you put it down and when it comes out it's like you know and it yeah. kind of has like an anise anise flavor to it sure that sounds delicious uh so he 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 does that. He started doing that now because it reminds him of his grandmother. I guess it was his grandmother's recipe. And then the other thing that they that they do a lot of is something called a clam dip, I think. And it's like cream cheese and, and sour cream mixed with like canned, clam, like chopped canned clam, chopped clams. <laughs> Say that 10 times <laughs> fast. Uh, that, that's so funny. I don't think I've ever had clam dip, but I've heard of it. But that is really, really. Yeah, and they eat it with like Fritos, you know. Mm, uh, sounds kind of good. I think I tried it once. It was all right. Well, so <laughs> that's that's so funny. So you, so he's coming from a more um, white American <laughs> point yes. of view. Yes. And so as you guys start to think about, you know, cooking at home, and I mean, are you are you basically in charge of the kitchen? Is it your domain? Is that sort of how it works? Yes. Yes, he he doesn't know how to cook actually, and he makes a joke like when we first started dating, he like didn't know what good food good food was. Sorry, yeah. English is my second language. You're so doing I, great. I, yeah, I, I don't worry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he pretty much like when I met him, he like ate a lot of hummus and like mm-hmm. snap like bag salads, you know, like kits and stuff. And so he doesn't really know how to cook. I've I've taught him a few things. 
uh, here and there. But for the most part, I'm very territorial in the kitchen. I don't like, like, because I'm, I don't know if you feel this way, but when I'm in there, like I have a pretty like set mind of what I need to be doing. And yes. so I'm usually like, I know the rhythm. I know where everything is. And sometimes when I let him cook half the time, he's like, well, usually when he wants, when he wants to cook, it's because he wants me to just relax and sit down and not worry about anything. But then half the time I'm up because he's like, yes. baby, where's this at? Where can I find <laughs> right. that? And yeah. then also then I show him where it is and then he uses it right and then he puts it back but he doesn't put it back where he found it from or uh, where i remember it to be and so the next time i go i look for something and it's not there anymore and it's like shut <laughs> that's so funny i mean craig uh to your point about julian not really being into food before you met him it's i've been with craig for 16 years and when we met and I started cooking for him, one of his friends, Stacey, said, oh, Adam, it's so good that he met you because before you met him, all he would eat was Hot Pockets. <laughs> and Craig, for whatever reason, that like really got him angry. He's like, I never ate a Hot Pockets. That's not true. And to this day, I'll be like, before you met me, you were eating Hot Pockets. And he'd be like, I never ate a Hot Pocket. And it was just, it's just like this running gag that we have. But yeah, yeah. I don't let anybody into the kitchen. It's so funny if I meet like a new food person and they're like, we should cook together. I'm like, no, we oh, should. That sounds like the worst. <laughs> yeah, I really don't want to do that. Um, well, this the is only all... time I just have to say the only time I ever let people come and cook with me is for Thanksgiving. So I obviously love Thanksgiving, and because of like what the holiday represents, you know, having family there and whatnot. What I do is that I make the turkey, and then I make everyone else make a side. Yes, so that's pretty much the only time like we all kind of come together and like my mom and my sisters come and they, everyone kind of is in charge of one thing. And so I that's like the that. time where I really don't mind sharing in the kitchen. That's very sweet. So, okay. I'm curious now because food is such a big part of your life anyway, because of your career, what was a typical day in your life before you had a kid? And now what is a typical day in your life with a kid? Okay. So before I would wake up, I would work out and then probably go to the grocery store. I went to the grocery store every day. And so get the stuff that I needed to shoot for that day, right? And then I would shoot for like one of my clients, I I'm I shoot basically 10 recipes a week for them, right? And so I, on a typical day, I would try to get everything done, like the shooting wise, like probably for like two to three days. Okay. And then the rest of the days of the week, I would then edit it, edit those photos and then like submit them. You don't do like the whole backend stuff. And so on a typical day, I'd wake up, work out, go to the grocery store, um, shoot two to three recipes probably, and then clean up. By then it's like five o'clock, clean up, walk the dog, um, and then make dinner. And then okay. like unwind, you know, watch TV or something like that. Or That sounds very relaxing. Yeah. And then now... It's changed, obviously. Um, well, technically, I'm still on paternity leave. So my husband is also on paternity leave. And so for the next six weeks, it's basically just the three of us taking, like, just the three of us, you know, trying oh. to acclimate to each other and uh, with the baby. And so it feels different now, obviously, because I'm not working at the moment. Um, but once the paternity leave is over, then I feel like, obviously, I still have to work. And so I don't right. know what it's going to look like yet. But uh, what I'm, is your son's name? I, I I should have asked you from the beginning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, his name is Theodore. Theodore. That's a great yeah, name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is he named after somebody or did you just like the name itself? So my husband jokes that he he wanted Theodore because he loved the president. And um, uh -huh. 
I joke that I wanted Theodore because I loved Alvin and the Chicken. Yes, that's what I was thinking. I actually I like both. Both were both are iconic. That's so funny. It's such a cool yeah. name. Are you gonna call him Theo or are you gonna call him That's a debate between like my our families and Jules and I because I like Theo a lot. Yeah. Um and Jules likes Teddy. So yes. you can call them both. Yeah, you'll just be confused for a while, but that's okay. I have a friend, Rachel, whose son's name is Theo, and uh, and it's very cute. But it's Teddy's also Theo, good. It's not like, uh, it's not Theodore. No, it's short for Theodore. And actually, oh, my best yeah, friend yeah. Diana's son is Teddy, which I'm sure is also short for Theodore. So it's in the it's in the uh, water right yeah, now. It's a, yeah. it's a good name. That's funny because um, I had, we had had this name picked out even before we started the process. So we had always known it was going to be Theodore. And the funniest thing is that like once, it's like one of those things like when you set your mind to something, it's like how the world works, I think, because then you start seeing it everywhere. Like mm -hmm. I started seeing it, like Theodore come out everywhere. And then it was like a constant reminder, like we haven't gotten picked yet. And it was always like there. And um, yeah, it's just funny how life works. <laughs> okay, so I want to know, we talked about this earlier, but now I kind of want to get into the details because it sounds like kind of an amazing experience. Sure. So you applied to adopt, you mm -hmm. had an inspector come, this was over a two and a half year period. Mm -hmm. And then in July, you got the call, you matched with this family or this mm -hmm. um, mother. Yes. And you, it all like the boxes were checked that this was going to happen. So what did that feel like when you knew this was, uh, this was coming? And how did you get prepared for it? Okay, so um, it felt surreal. And I feel like it still feels surreal now, even like, even as I hold him sometimes, you know, I just can't believe that it's happened. Um, I think that the long process sort of like jaded me in a bit because yes. I remember like towards the end before we got picked, because what, what happens is that we get like an update every month. So like it was, I think the 10th. So every 10th we would get an update saying, hey, you were presented to the, these many birth mothers and no one picked you basically, you know, it was mm -hmm. like no match. Uh, and then you would just wait for the next month. And so like, right before we got picked it was constantly like no matches no matches and, and and the number of like presentations was dwindling like from when we first started the program we would get like presented to like maybe 10 to 15 prospective birth mothers and then towards the end we were like two three maybe mm. zero sometimes interesting um, and that was really hard because it plays with your mind. You start to think like, is it us? Is it our profile? Maybe we need to update the profile or maybe, you know, there's something that we should be doing that we're not doing. Um, and then when we got picked and it's kind of like a lot of people say, you know, like if you really want something, you have to like forget about it or like the, mo the moment you forget about it, that's like when it happens. And so that's basically what happened. So because of the pandemic, we hadn't traveled, obviously, um, within the two years that, mm -hmm. you know, at the height and whatnot. And so this year in like the last week of June, the first week of July, we finally took a trip and went to London and Paris. And when we came back, like, you know, you're on vacation mode, you're not even thinking about it. You're just like, oh, I had a great trip. I'm back. You have to get back to, you know, your life. And it was like that, that same week we got back, we got back like on a Sunday, and then that Wednesday, our social worker called us and said, hey, you got you, you got matched, you know, whatever. And I remember thinking, like, it was so surreal because I also had just forgotten about it, you know, because of the trip and everything we had to do coming back. I love that. And it was surreal. Also, I'm like the type of person that doesn't like to put the cart before the horse, which is why also we kept it a secret. Because yes. I, I hated the 
the idea of telling so many people about it and then uh, constantly being asked or reminded of it, you know, not because people are trying to be malicious, but because they're probably really rooting for you and they're thinking yes. like, any update yet? I'm so excited for you. And the idea of constantly being asked that would have broken me down. So I know, I know what that's like. Yeah. yeah so, and, and I'm like that with like all aspects of my life. Like whenever something good has happened to me work-wise, I'm like, I'm not going to say anything until it's like set in stone or until, so. I'm just a bad secret keeper is the problem. Like I had dinner <laughs> with my parents the other day and I, I had applied for this job that I probably wasn't going to get and I didn't get, but, um, I told my, I was like, as I was driving to meet my parents, I was like, don't tell them that you're applying for this. And then they're just going to keep asking about it. And, yeah. then, and the second I sat down, I was like, I applied for this job today. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think I could keep a secret like that, but that's really impressive. But I also love that you got to take a little vacation inadvertently before yeah. you had a kid, which was not the plan, but it just sort of worked out that way. Because we had the um, trip planned for a while. Um, and I remember thinking like, Gosh, it's going to be my my luck in life that we're going to get chosen before the trip, which obviously right. would have been great. But in my mind, I'm like, I haven't traveled in two years. Like, I need, I want to go do something. And amazing. Um, but yeah, it was like you're right. It was like a, a nice send off trip. You know, I hope I can still go on trips as he gets older. But you will uh, eventually, but not for the next couple <laughs> of years. So wait, so what was the date that you found out that you matched, and then what was the date that you were at the hospital or? or Okay, so, bringing Theodore home. So I got matched on the Wednesday. So we came back July third, right before the fourth. So four or five. So we matched on the sixth of July. Uh huh. And then the what? So what happens is like you match, and even though you match, it's not like it's not a set thing until you like um, meet with the birth mom. And so I remember we matched on Wednesday the sixth, and then that Friday we had to meet with her, and and. The baby was born in uh, Nevada, so it was through Skype. We met with her through Skype and just an incredible woman, like honestly, incredible. You know, obviously it's a sad circumstance um, to be placing your child through adoption, but, um, and there's always a stigma I feel like, and I've, I've, I've learned more so now as you, as people now learn that I'm a father and that he was adopted, you know, people always have this stigma of like, oh, well, you know what what was wrong with the birth mom and like what is what was she going through like but like in a stigma kind of way and honestly for me and I keep reminding people this when they ask I say you know none of this would have been possible without her mm -hmm. you know she for whatever reason had her reasons to to place her child and um her like her saddest day which was the day she gave him up her saddest day was our happiest day and that is one of the hardest things to to cope with because yes. even though you're trying to control your happiness you're thinking of of her pain obviously and how hard it is the decision that she had to make um but anyhow so i digressed uh so on friday we met her through skype and then like from then on like the baby was actually due on august 22nd and he was born on the 16th so we thought we had a lot of time obviously and so from from that six to basically the weekend before he was born, we we were just kind of fostered this communication with the birth mom, and we would write to her, we would call her, you know, we get to know her. But it was basically like you're courting somebody because yes. you know, not until she signs that paper do is anything set in stone. So right. you're, you're basically trying to get to know each other because you also want to reassure her that she's making a good choice by picking us, that we are going to take care of her baby and and we're going to be great parents and whatnot. So 
And were you giddy? Like, were you just like giddy with anticipation? Because I remember when I got my dog, when I got Winston, I met him at a shelter. I fell in love with him. And then like the next day they were going to bring him over. Uh, and I was like a kid at Christmas. I mean, I was just like, oh my God, we're going to have a dog coming. You know, it's just like, I just got so, I, I, I can't explain it. And I can't even imagine what that feels like when you know that there's a, a kid about to be born that's yeah. going to be in your life for the rest of your life. I was giddy at the very beginning and then towards the end or like closer towards the end when he was being born, like I I just like all of a sudden it like clicked where I had never been nervous about being a parent, but then all of a sudden it like one day just kind of clicked. And I think it's just like your mind playing games on you that I was like, oh my God, we're going to have to take care of a, of a baby, like a newborn, something yeah. that's so tiny. And that kind of scared me at the beginning. And then someone told me like, I think it was my mom. She was like, uh, you know, I had four kids and never had a problem with any of you guys. And like you babies are more resilient than you think they are. And mm. so don't worry about them. I mean, obviously, like be careful when you <laughs> your neck and stuff like that. But you guys can't see this, but the baby is crawling up the wall behind him. <laughs> um, so that kind of like helped me because I have. Yeah, I have, that would help me too. Yeah, I would be so neurotic to, to be. I, honestly, I think that is the reason we're not having kids is because I'm just so neurotic that I think I'd just be terrified to be in the other room and just know that this baby is just <laughs> there in the crib and like could be like rolling on its face or I don't know. I just. But I, I just will would... say though that it is true what people say. Like when you have your like your child and they place them in your arms or whatever, like yeah. It, all of that fear kind of goes out the window. Maybe you might still have like certain kind of fear or anxiety about it, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like your body, your mind just kind of clicks into place and you're like, okay, you automatically know you have to take care of this other living thing. And so like it kind of, you just snap into it. It might be also like the way you felt with your dog. Did you ever yes. have a hesitation of like, am I going to be able to take care of my dog. I did with my first pet because I had a cat yeah. before I had a dog. And I yeah. remember being so scared of like, what do I do? Like, how do I take care of this cat? Yeah. But with a baby, I mean, oh my God, there's so much. But wait, I want to know the night that you came home. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, what was that? What was that experience? Like, so were you, were you at the hospital? When okay, yeah. So, so yeah, so the baby was due technically on August 22nd. And then she calls us and said, actually, they're going to induce me. And so it ended up being like a week before he was wow. actually due. So he was born on a Tuesday. We we traveled to Nevada like on Saturday before. So then we met her in person. We had dinner, like, you know, just to kind of alleviate those last minute nerves and whatnot. And then Tuesday morning, we, we were at the hospital with her and we were very fortunate that she wanted us to be in the delivery room when he was born. And like, cause it, you know, it fosters this bond with the baby. And yes. that was one of the things that she really wanted was for us to be as close to him as possible from the beginning because mm -hmm. she knew that you know we were going to have him for the rest of our lives and that she wanted that that connection there from the yes. beginning so we were there when he was born and um she signed the papers friday the 19th i think it was and so that from that friday when she signed the papers we were legally allowed to take him to the hotel we weren't allowed to leave the state yet because there's like a whole process of like paperwork having to be filed and with California, Nevada, you know. And so right. we were at the ho hotel probably for a week before we were allowed to leave Nevada. That so must have been crazy. What was that, that like? That was crazy because 
like my mom has been helping with him. Like I remember like the, the first week we brought him, like when we came home, she's been here helping. Like she was teaching us how to bathe him and like how to do certain things. But that time at the, at, at the hotel in Nevada, it was literally just the two of us. And that was scary because A, you're not in an environment that you're familiar with. You're not in your home or, you know, you don't have everything you would like. And so it's literally like us, this like four day old baby. Oh in a like little hotel room um and that was difficult also because i was like very cognizant like if you cry to feel so bad for like the other people in the other yeah room. i was gonna ask you did people complain about it or did nobody say anything? not that i know of but i remember okay. it was like you need to stop worrying you know who cares yeah yeah you are you and i are so similar we're the food people <laughs> we're so nervous about other people and what they're thinking and and craig and julian are like get over it okay yeah. so so you yeah that is surreal but i also I, for some reason i'm imagining it being good to be in the scene all in, i guess you would have been in the same bedroom anyway right like the yeah. crib would have been in your bedroom in the exactly. house exactly and so then when we finally were able to take him home like that was a, a like a moment of relief because i was like oh my god I, well, A, it was like 115 degrees in Nevada. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, my That's God, I just want to go home. Uh, and so when we got here, my mom and my sisters were here, and they were, like, so excited to meet him. And it was just, like, this feeling of, like, relief. A, that it finally happened, that everything was set in stone. Like, you know, there, there's no going back on the birth mom's part. And that, you know, there because you always have this fear, like, maybe they can change their mind. Or yeah. Something. Like, that moment when you walked through the door was like, it signified that everything had been done, like everything was set. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a moment of relief. So the fear that I had in Vegas from the hotel, like it all kind of dissipated when we came home. And it might have been because my mom was here and yeah. stayed in the guest bedroom. And she was like, you know, if you need anything, I'm there. And it was just like that relief. And I actually didn't even like in the middle of the night when he would cry, Jules and I would get up and we would handle it. I didn't even bother my mom. It wasn't. So it was just more the idea of like, oh, at least I know that she's there if I need mm -hmm. That's so sweet. And it's interesting because it kind of comes full circle, this idea of like your childhood, you're growing up, your yeah. mother, and now, now you're going through. So just to weave in a little food stuff, do you remember some of the meals that you ate during this crazy period of your life when you were in a hotel in Nevada and the baby was being born? <laughs> like, oh, were you just like... Funny. Yeah. Well, do you have any memories of that? Funny enough is that, you know, um, because I cook a lot, I don't necessarily like to eat out a lot unless it's like uh, we're going out to celebrate or we're like going to a nice date night, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so at the hotel, because we knew we were going to be there for so long, it was like one of those hotels that had like a kitchen in, mm -hmm. in it, you know. And so I was still kind of cooking, but it was like like convenience things like we went to a Trader Joe's and we got like um you know, like, uh, what's that called? Uh, Trader Joe's, like their orange chicken, you know, mm -hmm. so I, I made that or I made sandwiches one night or um, we had like a, char a charcuterie spread one other night, but we did go up, we ordered in one night. I think it was the night like we brought him from the hospital. Um, and it was the best Thai food I ever had in my life, honestly. And it was from like this little hole in the wall place, like by the hotel off, uh -huh. the, off the strip. I've heard that was it Lotus of Siam? Was that what it was called? It wasn't that one, but someone else, because I told this story to someone else. I think I told it to Ben actually. And oh, okay. he asked if it was Lotus of Siam, but it wasn't. It was like it was like one of those like strip mall places. It was like okay. uh, Thai something number two or something like that. You know, it was like very okay. like, but it they had this like crispy pork belly thing. Mm. And it was like salty and sweet, but then 
it had like these fried Thai basil leaves on top. And so oh, like, yeah. it was like kind of crispy from the skin. It was like thinly sliced, but it was like crispy from the skin and then a little chewy from like where the belly meat is. And like, it was one of the best things I ever ate, honestly. Maybe I I'll go- adopt a kid in Nevada just to have the Thai food. <laughs> I'm just here for the Thai food. The it's just for that dish. <laughs> so have you fed Theodore anything beyond formula yet? Can you give them little bites of like this and that? No, you can't yet. I don't okay. think you can do that until he's like a year. A year. Oh, okay. Just right because now, he doesn't have the immunity to handle that kind of exactly, stuff. Exactly. Yeah, and I think like because his throat's so tiny that oh. comes to me. Oh, um, okay. But, Good but, yeah. to know. But I am okay. waiting for that because I, I'm, I think I never even answered your question earlier, but I will be <laughs> uh, for him. You know, uh, I have this idea again. I don't know if it's going to happen, but of making his own baby food, like mm-hmm. as he gets older when he gets off the formula, and I don't know if I'll be able to do that time-wise or scheduling but i hope i can and i you could do what alicia silverstone does and chew up the food and spit it into his mouth (laughs) have you ever heard of that it's like i did hear that yeah i think that's synonymous with her name yeah don't do that i think that's weird (laughs) um well we have about like 10 minutes left but i feel like we covered a lot of this stuff so is there anything that we haven't talked about yet in terms of food and fatherhood um i feel like we covered your childhood we covered your goals as a father as a cook mm-hmm. do you want your son to be a cook someday too no i think it's weird personally for me i think it's weird when like you see you know like actors and their kids are actors or like your the children go into the profession that their parents are in i don't right. I know I think that's weird it's almost like you're pushing your child to do what you're doing i mean if he wants to cook and he tells me i i really want to cook i enjoy it then i will foster that but i won't be like I'm going to force you to cook, or, right. you know, I'm going to force him to do something just because I want him to. I don't, well, the only thing I take that back because the only thing, and I, I'm still adamant about it. And I know you play the piano, so this might resonate with you, but <laughs> that's the only thing I will force him to do is to play the piano because oh. I wish that's like my biggest regret in life is that I just wish that I had learned to play a musical instrument. And I'm mm-hmm. actually taking piano lessons now. I've been doing it for a year and a half. Oh, I just started too. That's so funny. Oh, have you? Okay. Yeah. I've been doing it for a year and a half once a week and I love it, but I'm only doing it because, so I bought a piano and I did it because I knew that I was going to have a baby. And so mm-hmm. I thought to myself like, well, how hypocritical of me to force mm-hmm. my child to play it and then he's gonna look at me one day and say well do you play it and <laughs> they know but I want you to so I then like when I got the piano I was like I'm gonna learn so that I can then at least have a leg to stand on when I'm when I force him to do it well it's so funny because piano is like cooking to me in that um you know, in my family my dad plays the piano and his mother played the piano mm-hmm. but my mom doesn't play an instrument at all yeah, and yeah. so my brother and I like I I just got this. My dad has a good ear. Like he can hear a song and play it. And that's what I inherited from my dad. But my brother doesn't have that at all. So I think some part of it is genetic. But it's funny because I'm taking these lessons now because I never really learned how to read music. And I only really played by ear. And it's so funny because I'm really good at melody, but I'm really bad at rhythm. Mm -hmm. And and Craig thinks I'm a really bad dancer. So he's like, you're a bad dancer. (laughs) And that's why you're struggling with rhythm. I'm like, thanks. That makes me feel great. But it is the hardest thing. Like a quarter yeah. note, an eighth note, a half note, a whole note. I still don't understand it. Have you been practicing with the metronome? Because to me, that's like the hardest thing. Like when my teacher puts on the metronome, I dread it because then I'm so hyper aware of the click that like I can't even concentrate on what I'm doing. And he's oh, reassuring me that like 
eventually the metronome will just be like in the background you won't even recognize it but i'm just that type of person like if it's there in front of me i'm looking at it and i'm hearing the clicks <laughs> actually doing what i'm supposed to be doing he has me saying one e and a two e, no, like one and two and three and yeah, four. Yeah, yeah. And so, but it's I I get so confused. Like I'm trying to like play the notes, but I'm also trying to say that. And I'm trying to it's <laughs> but I feel like it's gonna click at some point. At some point I'm yeah. gonna get it. Well, Jonathan, this was a delightful conversation. I feel like people are gonna be fascinated to hear about your journey. And it's it's really inspiring. Like I now I kind of want to have a kid. So <laughs> good Dude, job. It's greatest, it's honestly the greatest feeling in the world. Like Every day when I go and feed him or hold him, you know, like it, I look down at him and I'm just thinking like, wow, the, this is like everything I thought it was going to be. Aww. And it, it, it makes you like so selfless because, you know, just naturally as, as humans, we're very selfish. I feel like yes, you try not to be, I just feel like it's just a, an innate personality that people have. And I feel like when you have a child and this could be also when you have a pet, because I remember when I got my first pet. Uh, I had that same kind of feeling where like, oh my God, now I'm taking care of someone else. It's not anymore about me in mm -hmm. life. It's now about somebody else. And yes. so that feeling of like gratitude that you can take care of someone else is like one of the greatest feelings ever, honestly. Oh, I love that. I mean, it's funny because Craig is um, in New York right now editing a movie. So he's not here and cooking for myself doesn't feel the same as cooking for him. Like, and so I totally get what you're saying. There is yeah. something very rewarding about feeding other people and taking care of them. It's funny because like my culinary hero is Mrs. Weasley from the Harry Potter books. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's like yeah, always like feeding has, everybody. Like, exactly. Yeah. She yeah. has like this warmness to her and like all those yeah. scenes where she's like cooking for everyone. Yes. And everyone was coming down to eat. Yeah, I love that. That's what I want to be. Well, thank you so much for being so open and telling this whole story. And thank I can't wait to me. yeah meet Theodore. I hope um, maybe I'll I'll swing by someday with a pot yes, pie yeah. or something. Yeah. Okay. Well, have a great rest of your day. Thanks again. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. You too. All right. That's it for this week's episode. In case you don't already, give me a follow on social media at Amateur Gourmet. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And follow along on my newsletter to see what I've been eating in New York. That's amateurgourmet.substack.com. All right, I'll see you back here next week.